0: You're listening to For the Record with Tess Hurd. I'm Tess Hurd, and this is For the Record. And welcome back to another episode of For the Record with Tess Hurd. I'm Tess Hurd, and this is For the Record. I hope that you all are having an incredible week and an even more incredible Saturday? That feels kind of weird to say. Or whatever day it is that you're listening to this on. Maybe you prefer your true crime on a Monday morning after you drop the kids off at school. Or maybe you prefer your true crime on a random Tuesday afternoon. Either way, I'm just glad that you're here. And thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Real quick, I want to ask if you haven't already, please hit that follow button or that subscribe button depending on where you're listening at this week. And also, please feel free to leave me a five-star review because you know that really helps your girl out. Alright, we are going to completely cut the chit-chat and just dive straight into week, technically weeks two and three of the Take Care of Maya trial. I'm not going to give a recap because that will just take too much time, and we have eight days worth of trial to get through in this episode. So starting off with day three... Maya's doctor, Dr. Wasner. Now, I heard several people pronounce his name differently, but for the most part, Wasner was what I was able to hear. So, if that is incorrect, please feel free to correct me, but that's just what I was able to deduce from what people were saying in the court. He mostly testified to Maya's health. Prior to her CRPS diagnosis and what was going on, he said that she had some seasonal allergies and she suffered from asthma. Her allergies were a little bit worse than what he had seen before in other kids, but it wasn't anything out of the norm. She probably was just super sensitive to something. And I mean, I get that. I have horrible allergies year-round, and we live right across from a cornfield, and at the end of summer, whenever they start to harvest that cornfield, oh my goodness, my allergies are the worst. So, I understand that, but let's get back to the trial. Something that Dr. Wasner did say during the cross-examination was that he was there as an advocate for Maya and the Kowalski family. This isn't a bad thing when it comes to him being a doctor. You definitely want people to advocate for your health. But when it comes to a trial setting, having someone advocate for you isn't always the best thing because you're not there as an impartial person you're not there to give facts and the facts just speak for themselves you are giving the facts in a way that is almost trying to persuade the jury that you are on the side that is pressing the charges if that makes sense after dr wasner was on the stand they called up miss linda brown and i think that i mentioned linda brown on last week's episode she brought the traveling mary to maya and i really really think that the traveling mary is just such a cool thing i'm not catholic i don't really fully understand the catholic religion But I really like the idea of this Traveling Mary. It is supposed to be a sign and a symbol of hope. It is supposed to give families and the people who need it a sense of security in their faith and in their beliefs. And I just think that it's really cool. But what Linda Brown was testifying to was more so the fact that whenever they took this traveling mary to her in the hospital they were not able to leave it with her and her i say they it was linda brown and another person from maya's church they were not able to stay with maya they had to leave they weren't able to pray with her or do anything like that she said that there was almost like a dark force that was behind them in the hospital room, telling them that they couldn't be there with Maya. And they really brought this up because there is accusations against John Hopkins saying that Maya and her family were not able to practice their religious beliefs because Beata was trying to control Maya through religion. And I understand that that's a thing, but in this case, I do not think that that is what was going on at all whatsoever. In this trial, the jury is able to ask questions after a witness has been questioned and cross-examined and redirected and all that stuff. And one of the questions that that one of the jurors asked Linda Brown was... If the Dark Force people told her and the woman who was with her that they could not pray with Maya. And she said, yes, that is what they said. So I think it's really interesting that the jury was not like oh my gosh, this lady is crazy for saying that there was this dark force. They're listening and they are taking into consideration everything that's being said and they are respecting their religious beliefs and I think that's really, really important. After Linda Brown was Tashauna Duncan, who was a, I believe she's a psychotherapist, And she did an evaluation on Maya. She wasn't there to treat Maya or diagnose her with anything or anything like that. She was simply there to get an idea of what was going on with Maya, what was going on with her family. She interviewed people in Maya's life, like friends, other family members, teachers, classmates, all that kind of stuff to kind of see if what Maya was telling her was real, or if it was true, and if it coincided with what everybody else was saying. And from what she saw, it all lined up. There was no suspicions. She also was able to look at medical records and go through Maya's history, and something that she said really stood out, And that was that Maya had been told that she had a factitious disorder, which is faking her pain. And this lady said that if they had diagnosed Maya with this factitious disorder, this mental disorder of faking pain then why was she not getting more psychotherapy? Why was she not getting more actual therapy and not just physical therapy and the cognitive behavioral therapy that she was receiving? In the entire three months that Maya was in John Hopkins Hospital, she only had three hours of actual mental therapy which is ridiculous, especially if you're trying to say that the person that is in your care has some sort of mental disorder, especially one that is making her fake being sick and being in such excruciating pain. Something else that she said was that there is a connection between the mind and the body. And if you are having pain, and you have a physical diagnosis of what that pain is, or what's causing that pain, then the mental aspect of it, there's not going to be any faking it. It's going to be legit. And I know personally that the mind and the body affect one another immensely. And She also said that when it comes to somebody who has a chronic illness, that is going to take a mental toll on you. But that also doesn't mean that that mental toll is not legit and that they're using that to fake an illness day four was not open to the jury and although i watched the proceedings it was all just the legal jargon of arguments before the judge talking about evidence and what should be allowed and witnesses and all that kind of stuff So I don't really have a good recap of day four because it all kind of went over my head. I even tried watching a couple of other people on YouTube, their coverage of day four, and even then, with them explaining it in a more understandable way to someone who has not been to law school, I still could not get it figured out so there's not really an update for day four day five however was one that i think should go down in trial history first on the stand was one of maya's physical therapists her name was rachel dion and she was such a sweet person You could tell that she was really nervous to be up in front of the courtroom and in front of the judge and everything, but she quickly kind of got her bearings and was able to answer all of the questions. Mostly, she testified to what it was like treating Maya. She had never had a CRPS patient before, so it was something new for her, but she did say that after being with Maya for a while and going through some of the physical therapy that they went through, they were really able to get things, I guess, more so in control. Maya was still having a lot of pain, but they were working on building her muscle tone and helping her become stronger in her, her upper body. And even though her lower body was still really weak. She was slowly being able to move her legs a little bit more and and she had a lot more muscle mass than when she started. That was really all about that I got from her. So, we're going to move on to the next witness. The next witness is one that I think should be made or put into the trial hall of fame. He was incredible, and he was incredible on many levels. First of all, he was hilarious. He had the entire courtroom busting out laughing more than once. But aside from being just a genuinely likable person, he was like goldmine of knowledge when it comes to CRPS and he was able to explain things in a way that just made everything make so much sense when it comes to having CRPS and what it looks like on patients. He said that CRPS is the only pain condition that you can physically see not just because of the actual physical symptoms that arise but because you can look at someone who has CRPS and you can see the discomfort and the pain on their face. He went into talking about the McGill pain scale which is a scale of 0 to 50 but it only goes to 46. So technically isn't that a scale of 0 to 46? But on top of childbirth on top of limb amputation on top of cancer treatments CRPS is number 46 on the McGill pain scale he said that there is nothing more painful than having CRPS he also talked about how they diagnose CRPS and how there is a rigid checklist, and if you don't have so many of these little boxes checked, then you are not going to be diagnosed with CRPS. And for Maya, I think that she had either all of, or at least almost all of, the symptoms for CRPS. Whenever he met with her, he was able to see some of the physical symptoms, and he then went in to talk about what those physical symptoms are. They can range from lesions on the skin, blurred vision, hair growth that is more or less on one side of the body, brittle, broken fingernails, cracked fingernails, difference in temperature from one side of the body to the next, different skin color on one side of the body than the other, and just several other things that were really interesting to me to hear about. And Maya had all of these things. So in his professional opinion, Maya most definitely had, and still has, CRPS. Even during the cross-examination, whenever the defense attorneys were asking him about what could or couldn't be CRPS, he was adamant about the fact that with the symptoms that Maya had and continues to have, she has CRPS, and while it is a rare condition, it is not impossible... For a child to have it or be diagnosed with it. And he's seen enough patients to know whether or not somebody has it or if they don't. Now what made Dr. Chopra the perfect witness in my opinion is his humor. He, like I said before, had the entire courtroom laughing at one point or another and it was just so refreshing to see such a fun witness. Even though his testimony was serious, he was able to do what he needed to do, and say what he needed to say, and still be just a true, genuine person who was very light-hearted, very easygoing, and a lot of fun. During his entire testimony, He tended to kind of go off on these little tangents, or not so much tangents, but maybe more so just winded explanations about things. And a lot of the times, the attorneys had to kind of interrupt and redirect where he was going with things. And it got to the point where, on the stand, Dr. Chopra was like, okay, if you interrupt me, I'm going to charge you a dollar. And the attorneys would just laugh and then at one point during the initial questioning Dr. Chopra was like okay now you owe me a dollar now you owe me two dollars oh now you're up to three and then with the cross-examination with defense he was like okay now you're up to seven my jar is going to get full And I'm not trying to be mean or, like, anything like that by doing the accent. That's just how he said it, and it was really funny. He is Indian, so please don't take offense to that. Maybe I shouldn't have done it in the accent, but, yeah. It was just—he was a really, really, really great witness. And I think that if I was a juror sitting in the courtroom— that he would have made the entire trial so much better. And, I mean, just watching the trial, he made day five absolutely worth watching just because of the wealth of information that he shared and the humor that he brought to the situation. Something that he really focuses on as a doctor is getting to know his patients And getting to know them before he treats them trying to understand them trying to get a feel for who they are that way he can kind of say as a chronic pain specialist if their pain is more so physical or maybe if it is more mental and I think that's really cool he also teaches at Brown University and he teaches his students how to build a relationship with the patients because you can be a great doctor but if you're not a great people person with your doctor then you're probably not going to get very far with them and i've spent a lot of time in doctors offices and i can tell you right now that that is 100 fact like if you have a doctor who cuts up with you, who gets to know you, who listens to you, who wants to truly genuinely help you, and you're not just sitting in their office as part of their paycheck, then you can feel the difference. I mean, my primary care doctor is amazing. And because he's amazing as a people person, And also as a physician, we've been able to figure out a lot of my health problems, whereas before it was either just written off or I didn't really want to see anybody about it because they weren't going to take me seriously anyways. So having a doctor like Dr. Chopra or my primary care doctor, it makes all the difference in the world when it comes to your health. There was a lot more that Dr. Chopra said, but I can't get into all of it without just completely repeating his entire testimony. So I highly recommend that you go look up his testimony and just check out the video because he is truly, truly, truly probably the winning witness of this entire trial and I think that if the Kowalski family is going to win this that Dr. Chopper's testimony is the one that is going to be it. Moving on to day 6. First on the stand is Dr. of physical therapy Marissa Higgins. Okay, I had to take a break from recording last night and start again today and I woke up this morning feeling like crap. So if my voice is kind of weird, that is why I am 90% sure that I'm coming down with a cold and it's just not fun, but anyways, the doctor of physical therapy, Marissa Higgins, she mostly testified to what the treatment was like for Maya in this clinic. And I can't remember the name of the clinic but it was an inpatient therapy, physical therapy, and they did a lot of work on gaining or strengthening Maya's whole body. She was really weak all the way around. She couldn't do a whole lot of movement with her lower body especially, but even her upper body, her arms, she couldn't hold on to things very well. She couldn't do this little arm pedal exercise thing, so it was just really interesting to hear her perspective on Maya and what was going on with her at the time and the treatments that they used for her. The jury also had a lot of really good questions for Marissa Higgins, one of them being if Maya showed signs of more intense pain whenever Beata wasn't around. And Marissa Higgins said, yes, she did. So I think that's a really good indication of the jury wanting to know if Maya was faking or not. And to have this physical therapist say that, you know, Maya was not faking her pain, or at least not whenever, just whenever her mom was around, she was having these pain symptoms all of the time, even whenever she was by herself in this inpatient therapy treatment center. Next on the stand was Dr. Robert Barr, who is a pediatric neurologist. According to his reports, Maya had not been evaluated by a neurologist during her stay at John Hopkins. And that was really important because a neurologist could have helped rule out the potential of CRPS. One of his biggest points that he made was the fact that when a patient is diagnosed with CRPS, it is a very hard diagnosis. Not in the sense it's hard to diagnose, but it is a hard diagnosis to give and to receive as a doctor and as a patient because just like with any other chronic illness, that is something that you have to live with. Once you get that diagnosis, there is no coming back from it. There is no cure for CRPS. There's not even a really effective line of treatment for CRPS. So once you hear those words that you have CRPS, then you're living with that for the rest of your life. Day seven was kind of interesting. First on the stand was Detective Yerik Solberik. And I think I'm saying that right, but again, I have heard it pronounced different ways. So if I'm not saying it correctly, feel free to correct me. He was the detective that responded to the 911 call about Beata hanging herself. His testimony was pretty much just what the crime, not the crime scene, what the scene looked like, what was going on, what evidence there was for a suicide, and basically just the ins and outs of what he had to do as the detective and what his opinion was on the scene. He did say that whenever there is a suicide in his jurisdiction, that they have to go through the house, they have to search the house and find pills, any kind of drugs, anything like that. And he was able to testify that there were a lot of medications in the house, but some of them were several years old and still had ample supply left in them. And even the current prescriptions that were found in the house, they had ample amounts left in them, indicating that they weren't being used as often as they could have been, but also showing that Beata was not using any of these medications in excess on Maya or herself. Something that I did think was kind of interesting was that when talking about the scene, Beata had hung herself in the garage with belts on the garage door opener railings. But she had also gotten her infusion, because she was an infusion nurse, she also had gotten some of her infusion supplies and given herself an IV, I think. Or even if she hadn't had the IV in her, she had these things around her set up professionally. Like, on a little metal tray nearby. He said that it was probably something that was important to her, and it was just really interesting to him that she would hang herself, but then have these medical supplies nearby. And the medical examiner did test what was in the, the IV bag, and it was just salt water so it wasn't like there was anything of importance, I guess, in the bag. It wasn't any kind of drugs or anything like that. I did write down in my notes from his testimony part of Beata's suicide note, and I was going to read it, but I think that I am not going to do that out of respect for her and her family, but basically it said that she just couldn't handle the pain of being separated from Maya and it had been three months to the day that Maya had been taken into custody of DHS or I think they call it DCF and it was just really sad to to hear or read the state of mind that she was in and I'm kind of glad that they showed it because it showed the jury that, or it showed the jury where Beata was at in her mental state, but I also think that it was really hard and suicide is something that no one should have to go through. It's not something that anyone should have to feel like is their only option. And I think that Biata was in that place where she really felt like that. The detective did also say that there was no previous signs of a possible suicide attempt from Biata. If there was, they would have been, they would have put her under something called the Baker Act, which is basically, from what I've gathered, a act that admits people to a mental institution for suicidal ideations and those kind of things. He also said that there had been no previous domestic calls or anything like that from the Kowalski home. There was no reports of any kind of domestic disputes or child abuse reports or anything like that that had been called into the local police department by the Kowalskis or on the Kowalskis. Next on the stand was Deborah Hansen. I think that's her name. The court recordings, or not recordings, but the stream from Law and Crime, the volume is very, very low, and I typically listen to it on two times speed. So it is very difficult for me to get the names, even whenever I play it back slowly. So if her name is not Deborah Hansen, then I apologize. Again, I'm really not good with names. But Ms. Hansen was a social worker on the intake floor of the hospital at the time of Maya's admittance. Something that she testified to was the hospital procedures and policy of medical treatment and uh, leaving against medical advice or AMA. She talked about how you can absolutely leave a hospital against medical advice. You just have to sign a waiver saying that you are leaving against medical advice. And in this case, according to Jack's testimony, which we will get to, he said that whenever they wanted to take Maya out of John Hopkins, that they were told that if they took Maya out of the hospital or tried to, that they would be arrested. And so to have this social worker say that you know, you could leave against medical advice. You just had to sign a waiver that absolutely contradicted what the Kowalskis were told in that they would be arrested if they tried to take Maya out of the hospital that time. At that time, something else that she testified to was that it is really, really important to have an understanding of people's backgrounds and where they're from, especially when they are from different countries. Beata being from Poland, it was difficult sometimes for her to express or understand what was being said or situations that were going on because of culture differences and language differences and everything. And while Beata did speak English and she she spoke English very well, there was still a type of barrier that could sometimes be difficult to overcome just simply because of the way that she was raised and how she was brought up. And although she had adjusted very well to life in the United States, that still didn't eliminate that barrier in some of these instances, especially with the medical field even as someone who is born and raised here in the United States, there is a lot of this medical stuff that I cannot understand to save my life. So what Miss Hanson was trying to say was that it is just very crucial to have an understanding of where people come from and understanding that sometimes you have to take a little bit more time to explain things in a way that can be very easily understandable, even to the most intelligent of people. If there is some sort of cultural barrier between the two, it can be really difficult for both parties to get their points across and it not come off as argumentative or anything like that. And finally, last on the stand was Maya's dad, Jack Kowalski. His entire testimony took up like a day and a half, so there will be much more of his to come, but basically what he talked about on Trial Day 7 was his history, what he did as a profession, how he got involved. He was a paramedic and a firefighter. He did a lot of stuff to help other people. He was sent to Louisiana whenever Hurricane Katrina happened. He did a lot of work helping victims of 9-11. He actually designed license plates for families who lost loved ones during 9-11 that they sold and raised money to donate to these families. And all in all, he genuinely just seemed like a really good guy, a very caring guy, a very helpful guy. And I think that they did this to show that he was not an abusive person, that if he was willing to help out all of these other people with really no benefit to him, then why would he abuse his daughter or watch his wife abuse his daughter? And I will argue that some of the best people in the world that seem like great, genuine, helpful, caring people are some of the most vile, horrendous people out there. Like, you can have someone who is just wonderful in the public eye, but then behind closed doors, they are a complete monster. However, I don't think that this is the case with Jack Kowalski. I think that while he may not be a perfect father, but who is a perfect person, he genuinely loves and cares for his kids and he wants what's best for them. I don't think that in any way he was or is abusive to Maya or Kyle or his oldest daughter. I think her name is Corinne. So to get that testimony out of him on day seven was just a really good background. He also went into how he met Beata, and when they got married, they met, and about six weeks later, they got married on a cruise ship. Then his family, well, both of their families were upset that they got married on a cruise ship, so they had to have a second wedding once they got back from the cruise, and I thought that that was just kind of a cute story to hear about. They also talked about how whenever Maya was born, she was an IVF baby, and she was their little miracle baby. And then whenever Kyle came along, it was a complete surprise. They had no intention of having another baby But they absolutely love Kyle. And then they went into the story about how Kyle was born with something. I can't remember exactly what it's called. But basically his blood cell counts were low. And he had to be transferred to another hospital. Beata checked herself out of the hospital against medical advice. And eventually went and was able to donate platelets Even though she had just given birth, you know, a day or two before, she donated the platelets and gave them to Kyle. And shortly after that, Kyle was okay. And he has not had any other medical issue since. Trial Day 8 was all about Jack's testimony. The entire day, Jack was on the stand. His testimony was supposed to take maybe an hour or two, But then he was on the stand all day. There was so much information that he gave about Maya, about her health, about her history, about the history of him and Beata and the doctor's visits, and what happened at Johns Hopkins, and how they were told that if they tried to take Maya and leave, they would be arrested. They talked about how everything that they went through while Maya was being held at the hospital, it was just a full day of everything. And I don't think that there is really any way for me to condense everything that was said during his testimony. So I will be linking... This full day's trial in the show notes. So, if you want to check it out and watch it and listen for yourself, you can. But there was just so much of it that it was really impossible for me to find what was important, what wasn't important. It was all just so much information. I do not see how the jury was supposed to take the bits and pieces that they thought were applicable to this case and make anything out of it because to me it was all important all right guys i was planning on trying to get through days nine and ten as well but the morning has absolutely passed me by and i promised that i was going to get this posted today this afternoon so what i'm going to do If you heard that, that was my dog trying to get up on my futon. But what I'm going to do is post this episode today, and then tomorrow I'm going to post trial days 9 and 10. It's going to be a short episode because day 10 was only half a day, but I have a lot of thoughts about day 10 and the testimonies well, they weren't testimonies. They were depositions, recorded depositions. So I am going to post that tomorrow. But today is my amazing husband's birthday. And so we have got a packed day full of plans and he graciously agreed to let me do what I needed to do for this episode to get it out there before we started doing anything else today. So I have got to go and get ready so we can celebrate his birthday. So happy birthday, babe. I love you so much. Thank you for all of your support and your love, and everything that you do for me. I hope that today is the absolute best birthday ever. You are amazing, and I love you so much. All right, guys, I know I said it in the beginning, but if you haven't, please hit that subscribe button or that follow button, leave me a five-star review, and until next week, the record will so reflect.